On this episode, we talk to activist and musician Steve Volk. He'll tell us how a childhood interest in writing turned into a career in journalism and what he learned as an activist by reaching across the aisle with a politician. Welcome to Creative Conversations with Generation Jones, a podcast where we interview real people of a certain age. Not the rich and famous. Mm -mm. Folks who've been living a life of creativity. Some do it for a living and some do it because it fills their soul. Mm -hmm. But they all have great stories and pearls of wisdom to share with you, with me, with everybody. Yeah, baby. Hi, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Maria. And we're your hosts for Creative Conversations with Generation Jones. Thanks for joining us. This episode, we will be talking to Steve Valk. Hello. Former uh, newspaper, newspaper man. man, activist who wanted to change the world, mm -hmm. and backyard musician. Welcome, Steve. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you guys today. So our first question that we ask every single person is, what is your favorite cocktail? Well, uh, so the one that we made uh, today is, is one that I concocted a few years back up in Virginia. It's called the Vienna Firefly, and it's uh, one part uh, cherry-infused vodka, one part uh, tonic water over ice, a little squeeze of lime. And the reason I call it the Vienna Firefly is because cherry vodka was the only liquor we had in the house. I made it. We sat in the backyard and drank these things like they were going out of style. And as the evening came on, these fireflies started coming up from the grass. And as it got darker and darker, they rose up into the sky Ooh. and kind of mixed in with the, <laughs> with the stars up there. And so, of course, we're, we're loaded. So this... <laughs> This is an incredible display, and, and I mean, it was it was kind of a mystical experience for us. And I thought, wow, I've got to give this drink a name. And so I thought, well, you know, that the fireflies. I'm in Vienna, Virginia. We're going to call it the Vienna Firefly. And I have to say, it's quite delicious. It is, it is so good. You know what we're going to do? We're going to try it. So let's yes. do a little cheers. All right, you know, cheers. Clinky, clinky, clinky. There we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. Well, it's strong but delicious. Here. It is good. Indeed it is. <laughs> By the way, I, I did not realize that there was a generation. I just assumed I was a baby boomer. I did not know that there was this whole Gen segment. Jones, baby. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Special. Just Generation Jones. So I, I don't know. I guess I feel a little more special now that I, I, I'm part of this Generation Jones thing. Like What's the vibe of Generation Jones. Totally cool, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we were we were not really boomers because we didn't grow up. We in weren't the born era. right after World War no. II. No, we had TVs in TVs our houses, in our not yeah. just radios. Mm -hmm. You know, we were a little snarkier. We were a cooler generation. Cooler, then. and it sort of had a little more technology. Yeah. You know, a mm -hmm. little bit. We, yeah, yeah, we grew yeah. up in the '60s, yeah. and we're teenagers in the '70s. Mm -hmm. You know, we were too young to go to Vietnam, Vietnam, or World War II. Jesus Christ. No. She, wait, cut this whole part. <laughs> what was the music thing? Woodstock. 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 We were too young for Woodstock. Oh, I was four. I technically, I yeah, probably. You were too I young for Woodstock. See, for that, we're, yeah. we're, and we can't remember shit right now. Right? And we right. can't remember shit. <laughs> because, because, Isn't there an acronym for that? Because we smoked too much weed. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> CRS, yeah, can't remember <laughs> can't, shit. Yeah. That, see, that is a great tagline, Generation Jones. We can't remember shit. <laughs> <laughs> For season three, that's going to be our new tagline. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <remember shit. laughs> All right. Okay. Butting boom. <laughs> All right. So, Steve, what did you want to be when you were a little kid? Believe it or not, I wanted to be a priest. 
Uh, so I was, wow. I, I was I was born I was born and raised uh, Catholic and uh, and I became an altar boy. I mean, I was an altar boy back when they was doing the mass in Latin. You're from Jersey, right? I'm from, from New Jersey, yeah. right? Right. I'm in a, in a parish that had like six priests in it. You know, wow. six, six confessionals. You know, very little waiting. Uh, and uh, so. Uh, yeah, and, and you and you always kind of had to had to stake out you know the right priest to make sure you didn't get too much penance. You did not want to see the monsignor, you know. You you what you wanted to see the guy who was going to give you three hail marys and boom, that's it. Yeah, uh, you didn't want to have to do two or three rosaries because that would take oh, no, a lot no, no, of time. Oh no, 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 yeah, that's you, much time. you grew up. I did yeah. grow up Catholic. Yeah. 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 That's that, that's yeah. a lot of time on 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 your knees, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, yeah. So when I was a kid, I, w- I wanted to be a priest, you know, and then I hit puberty and then uh. all of a sudden this, you know, the ramifications of celibacy took on a whole new dimension <laughs> for me. You know, I thought, eh, maybe I'll do something else, you know, and and uh, I, I got interested in astronomy when I was a kid and, and I had a telescope and all that. I, I, I love doing that. And Later on, uh, you know, as I got to be a, a young teen, I, I was thinking architecture. I like to uh, I like to design things, but then late in high school, I I really developed a love for writing, for uh, doing poetry and and writing short stories and and and, and stuff like that. And uh, at at the time, I was in high school uh, up in New Jersey. I could get the New York Times delivered to my desk every morning for wow. five, five cents a copy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In high school? Wow. So, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, what I high mean, school student reads the New York Times? Well, you did. Yeah, I did. this I guy did. right here. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I really um, kind of developed this love of, of writing and, and a love of news. I, I, I just, I, I couldn't get enough news. And I decided, well, I'll, I'll go into journalism. And that's, that, that's what I did, yeah. So is that what you did in college? Yep, yep. I went to uh, University of South Carolina. I grew up in New Jersey, graduated high school there. My family moved down to South Carolina. So I applied to Rutgers and University of South Carolina. Um, I was such a screw-off in high school <laughs> that uh, yeah, Ruck- Rutgers would not have me. You know, I said, okay, it looks like I'm going to, going to South Carolina. I, ma- I majored in journalism. I thought I was going to go into broadcasting. You know, I yeah, Dick Cavett, you know, just kind of, he, he was one of my heroes in, in, in terms of being somebody who did a, a really in, incisive interview right. with, with, with right. people. And I worked at the campus radio station and, and all that. And I actually, I, I became like the program director. And, and then uh, in, in the middle of all the, the Watergate stuff and, and Nixon uh, being under fire and all that, some conservative outfit uh, sent us a, an editorial tape kind of defending Nixon. And I was and I was Uh-oh. stupid enough to write the guy back, you know, with a, a this this profanity laced, you know, letter about <laughs> us, you know, forget it, pal. You know, we're not we're not running this. And uh, it, it was it was it was pretty bad. You were an activist way back then. Right? Well, he yeah. well this 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 guy went to the president of the university, you know, de- de- demanding that I be expelled <laughs> oh, come on. from the from from the university and, and and all that, you know. So they had to do something. So they had this like student faculty committee that uh, that oversaw student communications, like the radio station and the newspaper and, and all that. And so they decided. Well, okay, it looks like you're you're gonna you're gonna have to leave the radio. Oh, so station. they did. They kicked you off the radio station. They, actually, they, they they kicked me out of the radio station. <laughs> wow. And so right next door to the radio station was was the student newspaper. So I I went down the hall to the next door and 
<laughs> and started, the newspaper. And started uh, working working with the newspaper. That's how I ended up in, uh, in in print media instead of broadcasting. Got it. <laughs> and when you were in college, that's when you had your little stint with streaking. Oh, that was so much fun. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was just one of these weird crazes that just kind of happened organically. All we were up in the radio station, and I remember somebody said, "Hey, there's some guy running around." campus naked you know and, and then there's another one you know so it started off just with a few randos you know running around with without their clothes on and then it became this competition between universities you know between different schools and everything so we decided uh you know we were going to try to get the get the record for the the <laughs> most uh, you know for the highest number of streakers out there so there were like at you know, one time at yeah. one time uh-huh. right right so there was like thousands of people <laughs> out in out in the street there in, in in front of the campus in front of the student center and so, so we had to have somebody actually officially count it off mm-hmm. you know how, how many people were in this thing so we were we were actually lined up over <laughs> over by the library all of us were, were, were lined up naked over by over by the library so that we can kind of get counted off and we we went running through this crowd of people. They, they they would sort of part like the Red Sea or something, with to you know maybe a a little <laughs> lane that was about maybe seven or eight feet wide, and we ran through this crowd in the in the street. And as I'm running through the crowd, uh, my, my my girlfriend she's right on the front line watching all this stuff, uh-huh. you know. And and I go running. She didn't know I was going to do this, you know. <laughs> And I went and I went running by and she goes, Steve, you know. <laughs> so uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I think a few weeks later or something like that, we were up visiting her family up in the, in, in North Carolina and uh, her her mother, you know, who who really he, she, she kind of rolls with things. She she's she was pretty cool. You know, she said, should I ask him? Yeah. Oh, not you need. So she said, Steve, was that you I saw in the newspaper? Oh, oh no. no. Uh, yes, apparently there was there was a picture of somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Might have looked like me. I don't. I can't say for sure it was me. But you know. But anyway, my girlfriend's mother, you know, saw a, a, a picture that might have been me in now, the newspaper. Now we have to streaking. admit, we yeah. did go. We looked this on up. Google and looked mm-hmm. it up. Uh huh. There were a lot of butts. A, a lot, lot of, of, lot of right. naked butts. A lot yeah. of naked butts. Of course, you know, our butts change. We didn't right. know if it was you or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to, it was hard yeah. to tell. Yeah. Hard, to, hard tell. to tell. So there may or may not be photographic evidence. We're not sure. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So when you got out of school, mm-hmm. um, where'd you go to work? So uh, I, I've really been in- incredibly fortunate. I mean, most people, they, they, they have to do these extensive job searches and, and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I like to say that there must be somebody up there that likes me because the Jackson Clarion Ledger actually came to the University of South Carolina to recruit graduates from the senior class to go to work for them. And I interviewed with them and I got a job at the Clarion Ledger in uh, 1977. I I, I worked for a year there. And so what I did, uh, I did mostly uh, page design and layout, writing headlines, editing, that kind of thing. I remember my journalism professor, I said, hey, you know, the quickest way to get to work on on, on a major newspaper is is through the copy desk and so I made a little note of that and uh, and I also figured out that my skills as a designer 
were not skills that everybody else had. I mean, yeah, when, when yeah. something it's it's really weird when something comes easy to you, you just figure, oh, everybody can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. no, yeah. that's not the case. You know, sometimes you're you're good at something that a lot of people really can't do, and that that was the case with uh, with, with newspaper uh, design for me, and that's what got me the job in in Jackson, and then uh, you know less than. Oh, about about a year or so later, uh, my professor calls me up and says, "Hey, the Atlanta Constitution is looking for people who do what you do. Give this guy a call." And uh, they interviewed me and uh, and everything. And I thought, "Oh, well, they, you know, they'll probably just say, okay, well, thanks for coming in. We'll we'll let you know." But no, no, the uh, the managing editor looks at my stuff and and he says, "Well, I got one more question, you know." And uh, <laughs> oh, what's what's that? When can you start? Uh-huh. Yeah, and I wow. I just about fell out of my chair. You know, here I am. I'm 23 years old. You know, going to work for you know the biggest newspaper in the in the southeast. Now there were there, there were two things going on here. You know, one was I was good, yes. But the other thing was that I was just a year out of college. So, so you were cheap. You were cheap. They, yeah. really cheap. they got me pretty darn cheap. Yeah, yeah. Good so they, and cheap good is good. They got, they, they, got, they, they got the bargain version of, uh, of, of Steve at that point. But, uh, but anyway, so, yeah, there I was. I, I came to Atlanta in 78 and, uh, you know, started working at the Journal. And, and you did the layout, yeah. too, right? I, I did, yeah, the this layout. This was before. Right. This computers, was like computers, computers where you had to do it oh, physically. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You had to do, yeah, you didn't do this stuff on computer. I mean, and for anybody who's like, you know, born after 1990, uh, you know, you can't imagine what it took to get a newspaper out. Uh, I mean, at, at, the, at least we had, at this point, we had uh, word processor computers where you can actually write a, you know stories and and edit them. Although the reporters were were, were still typing their stories on wow. uh, on, on, I, on IBM yeah. Selectric typewriters, yeah. <laughs> they would they would do it. Uh, you know, like like you know, triple carbon with 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 triple space, and and then the editing had to be actually done by hand, and then sent down to the composing room, and then the people who set the type then would actually fix the copy that was that was sent down according to the edits that were wow. on 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 the pages mm-hmm. there and uh yeah yeah it, it was it was it was really crazy and they really didn't have what we call pagination being able to compose an entire page on on the computer they didn't really have that until early 90s wow yeah, yeah. that long yeah. uh-huh yeah, because I actually just saw a video of like so when I was at, I was at CNN in the mid to late eighties, you know, when I started there, right. and I actually just saw some somebody had shot some video back when we were in our twenties, and you know, and you can hear the typewriters clicking in the background, <laughs> click, click, click. and of course it was an open newsroom, right? right? And so you know the, the the anchors are sitting there at the anchor desk, and you can hear the typewriters going. That that was that was the way it was. That now that would be weird, but that was the way it was. Oh, newspapers used to be the the noisiest places in the world you know be, between the typewriters and the uh the, the wire machines right. you know are also going tell us ding 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 you know when and 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 all this and and the phones were always ringing right yeah people swearing it was also very smoky too oh yeah because when i was at cnn in the 80s it was like there was smoke we were smoking everywhere we're putting our cigarettes down there were burn marks on every single table burn marks on the on the tape decks there were burn marks yeah no the the ashtrays did did not leave the newsrooms i i think until probably around 90 or so yeah that that, that long really oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Th- throughout throughout Jesus. the 80s you, you wow. could you could smoke in the newsroom yeah, yeah. Oh my god yeah. Yeah. yeah so can you tell us briefly like what exactly your job was i was the guy who put the jigsaw puzzle together mm-hmm. 
So what would happen is, you know, every, every page in the newspaper is, is composed of stories and headlines and pictures and graphics and, and, and stuff like that. And so in consultation with some editors, we would decide what would go on, you know, particularly like, like a cover page. Uh, I worked uh, in, the, in the early years, I worked mostly in the features uh, department. You know, what eventually became the living section, I think back then it was people, et cetera, or something back back then. And uh, so you would get, uh, we decide with the editor, okay, here are the stories that are going to go uh, on, on that cover. Here is the art, the graphics uh, that, are, that are going to go there. And uh, here, just knock yourself out. And so I would sit there with a, a, a gridded sheet of paper that was, you know, broken up into like six columns or so with, with the inches marked off and all that. And I would actually draw out what was going on the page. You know, the, wow. I, I would, you know, say, okay, mm. here's, here's, here's the story. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the story <laughs> at the top. You know, here's, here's the headline. Here's the size of the, okay, this is going to be a 48-point headline. Then you had to take the photos. Again, this is before pagination. And so you had to actually take the photos and crop them with a marker, with a, you know, sort of a crayon-type pencil you crop them and put a little uh, tag on it send it down to the composing room where they would make what was called an engraving of the of the photo to a certain size that would fit on the page so you you would do all that stuff all of these little pieces had to come together I would it, it was kind of like I, I was at the end of the funnel uh, you know all this stuff kind of getting dumped into uh, create wow. what what I call the the daily miracle you know when when, when you think about it I mean this there's went a, on every day every, every, every day not like right? this was not like every a day once a week no. paper. There, is, there's yeah. probably there's probably every enough day. there's enough copy in a in a daily newspaper each day to fill a book so this institution this business is publishing what the equivalent of a book a day That's amazing. Uh, with over a hundred people involved in the process from from uh, reporters to editors to layout editors to copy editors to the printers down in the composing room who would cut and paste this stuff up on on a page and then it would go to a press room uh, but um, it was it, it, it was fun it was exciting uh, it was really exciting on on an election night uh, oh I'll which, bet. oh yeah uh, which, which leads me to this I, I believe it was an election night that this happened so uh, on, on a big news night, you know, particularly for the features section, they wanted to keep what we call replates to a minimum be between like the, the first edition and the and, and the next edition. You know, so if there was anything that was like a minor fix or something like that, forget it on a big news night. So me and this other copy editor, we're, we're, we're looking at the first edition. I said, OK, you know, don't worry about any small stuff here. You know, we want to keep, you know, the fixes to uh, to a minimum. And and Charles McEwen, this wonderful character, very proper with an extremely droll sense of humor. <laughs> and he said, well, Steve, I think we need to fix the Dear Abby headline. And I said, oh, why? Oh. <laughs> because it says Dead Abby. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I think, oh, no. So fortunately, you know, it was, it was what was called the three-star edition. I think, it, you know, it ended up in, like, newspaper racks down in Savannah or something oh, like that. You know, oh, so it, it did go out it, like that. It, 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 oh, it actually oh, went, out, it went, it went out like that. Oh. But, but it, it only, I mean, we, you're talking about 150,000 circulation. And, you know, this, this would, you may be talking about 
ten to twenty thousand copies or oh something God, like that right. go, going down to the coast. So yeah, yeah, we decided that was worth fixing. So on that note, let's take a little break here. Have another little sip of our drink. Right. Refresh them, maybe. Yep. Up here, let's clinky clink. Clinky clink. Clinky clink. Clinky clink. clink. And we'll be right back. <sighs> All right. Don't go away. So how did you get involved in activism? Well, from the time that I was a teenager, I was looking around and I, and I was seeing all the problems in the world and I, and I wanted to make a difference with it. And uh, I, I kind of fell on, on, on journalism as the way that I could make a difference. I, my, my thing was, you know, I'd, if you could just get the right information to the right people at the right time, you could solve most of the problems in the world. And but un, un, unfortunately, what, what I discovered was a few years into my career is that the, the purpose of a newspaper is not to save the world. The purpose of a newspaper is to make money exactly. for the people mm-hmm. who own the newspaper. <laughs> exactly. Right. right. <laughs> and uh, so I, I don't know why this came as a surprise to me, but because <laughs> but, but you were young, right, because I was young and yeah. idealistic. Yeah. Occasionally, those those two purposes would cross paths. But I guess I kind of got all swept up in the Woodward Bernstein thing that was <laughs> happening in the in in the early seventies with, with, with Watergate, as as a lot of uh, you know aspiring journalists were at the time. But uh, from a making a difference standpoint, it was it was kind of disappointing. Uh, so I, I started pouring myself more into creative endeavors like songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I that's met uh, Stephanie. Right, that's right. And that's right, in I, theater. I, uh, that's right. I forgot about that. I, I was the star of a really weird play uh, that was that was written by, by your friend. You were the makeup person. That's right. And so you did my makeup person. That it was uh, a, a, about a plane crash, and oh. so all the people had to look like they were all banged up and oh, bloody yeah. special and, effects. Yeah, special effects. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. From, the, yeah. from the master Halloween. Uh, yeah, this Halloween makeup artist here. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's how we met. That's how we met. Okay. Okay. But I. I discovered pretty early that I really didn't have the chops uh, to, <laughs> to, to be an actor. So I ended up doing lights. What other creative things were you doing then? Well, at the time I, I was a songwriter and I, I wrote uh, probably half of the songs that were in a uh, short-lived dinner theater at, at Ansley Mall. And they did this production of uh, of a thing called, I think it was called Atlanta Proud or something like that. So I, I wrote like half the songs that were in that <laughs> musical, and including one about Brave's pitcher, Phil Necro. You know, I, I wrote a little song called, you know, Set him up for Nuxy, he was one of a kind. The butterfly pitch would get him every time. I tell you quite frankly, I'm sad he's a Yankee. Set him up for Nuxy, he's a friend of mine. Yeah, so so I, I was I was writing songs and, and, and stuff. Uh, yeah, so I've had a four-track uh, recorder uh, for a little while, and, and, and then I went big. With an eight-track uh, reel-to-reel, Ooh, eight-track. Yeah. Oh, eight-track eight, eight yeah, back yeah, back yeah. In, back in the day, and, uh, <laughs> and and I started writing and, and recording songs. But you've always kind of played mm-hmm. music for creativity, and right. with, like local, like neighborhood mm-hmm. bands and people you knew. Well, and, I, and as a matter of fact, uh, I had a friend named Matthew Shelton. He was a songwriter. He played guitar and he played a lot of harmonica. And so for a, a, a brief period, he and his girlfriend, who became his wife, uh, Maureen, and 
uh, my wife, Sarah, we were all part of this little group called Matthew and the Mystics. I remember seeing you yeah. at Moto's one time. George's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. George, George had 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 a place and, a and, restaurant, and, 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 mm-hmm. and we played there. I remember there. seeing you guys play there, right? Mm. And I would do hand percussion. I didn't have enough coordination to actually get my my feet involved. <laughs> In, 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 in the drumming, it was just hands. So what were so, you what were you playing? I was playing the conga drum, okay. right, right, and doing a little singing with it, and 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 so forth. And you know, later on, when I started going back to uh, to church at the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, then I started singing in the choir up there, and that's been a lot of fun. Was there something that your wife knew about you just from looking at you back then? As, as, as Sarah says, uh, I was the kind of guy who, who would wear his heart on his sleeve, you know. <laughs> Literally because. Literally, right, right. Because, because I, I actually have a tattoo on my arm from uh, uh, a girl I fell in love with when I was 17 years old. Uh, that you still have on your arm. That's, yes. that, that's still there, uh-huh. right, right. Yeah. Are there any other tattoos on any of your arms? Uh, not on my arms. I actually, for our 25th anniversary, I, uh, I got Sarah's name tattooed right over my heart oh so Aww. lovely but you didn't get rid of the original one she's fine with that okay. she's fine it, okay. it's 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 part of who i am it, 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 it's, right. it, it, okay. it's part of it, your history it, it, it says something about yeah. how you know when 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 i commit to something i really commit right. to it you know? <laughs> and what is that on what, what does that tattoo say that one this one here says iris okay so and that's also a flower not it only. is it is a flower, oh, yeah. flower. flower. <laughs> some people have suggested hey why don't you just add an h to it and you can tell people you went to notre dame you know oh, irish uh, oh, right, right. Yeah, at exactly. the end <laughs> right. that's funny yeah, yeah. so yeah. uh so did she get you involved in activism or in volunteering with something yes she did mm. she did one day she says oh can can you give me a ride and, and this was at a time when i didn't even have a car all i had was a motorcycle so <laughs> she had she had no car i had a motorcycle uh, <laughs> before uber or lyft right, right. right. Yeah. so uh says oh i've i've, I've got to go to this meeting i said oh what what is it all? Oh, it's it's this group about ending uh, hunger and poverty, and you know she told me a little bit about it, you know, and I looked at her and said, "Well, that that's that's nice. I'm glad you're doing that." And uh, <laughs> so oh, nice uh, for you, right? And uh, it's sure I'll give you a ride. So I I drop her off at the meeting and then come pick her up later on, and you know a few months later, and they would have monthly meetings, and eventually I just I kind of curious, what, what are they doing at this thing, you know? So so I went to a meeting. Uh, it was an organization called Results that advocates for uh, for ending hunger and poverty. At the meeting, there was a conference call. So so at, at the time, if you wanted to do a, uh, a call that everybody in the room could hear, you had like a little speaker box from Radio Shack wow. where, that you that yeah, you would yeah. plug the phone into. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and so I so we're on this call where there's like people listening from all over the United States. And and at the end of the call, they would actually do like a little roll call, you know, to say, okay, say your city, how many people are in the room and what you're planning to do, you know, are you going to, you know, get how many letters to the editor written or how many letters to your member of Congress or, or something like that. And as they went around to all these different cities and, and people saying who was in the room and what they were going to do and all that, it kind of started to make some sense to me that wow this could this could actually work this is how you can you know put your democracy 
You yeah. had an epiphany. To yeah. good to good use. Oh, that <laughs> wow. was that wasn't the big epiphany. That, but oh. that that was that was that was the first epiphany. Okay. But uh, but that was like, yeah, I think this could actually work. And so I I started getting involved and I also and I saw that um that my skills as as a communicator and in the media could play a very big role yeah, in yeah. Uh, in influencing the decision makers who were deciding you know how much money was going to go into things that actually made a difference in people around the world things like child survival uh you know measles uh, immunizations you know, us contribution to unicef uh tuberculosis microcredit loans uh for the poor things like that and so uh so i actually i i started volunteering with with results and eventually i was the one who would end up writing what were then the editorial, what we call the editorial packets. And so an editorial packet was like basically kind of like a little position paper on an, on an issue with that our volunteers would take to the newspaper. And that time, the, the, the Internet really didn't exist. So these editorial packets were actually printed out and sent by mail wow. to groups all around the country. And then they would take them to newspapers and, and, and say, would you consider writing an editorial about this? You know, not an op-ed or a column, you know, but like the official view right, of the newspaper. Right. And so we'd get them to, to, to write, you know, dozens of editorials around the country uh, asking that Congress increase the funding for child survival or, 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 or to start funding microcredit programs. Uh, and stuff like that. So I, I really began to get the sense that I was st sort of fulfilling my, my, my purpose, you know, what I was really called to be that doing. Was your destiny. In yeah. mm -hmm. Right, in, in terms of having an impact on, on, on making the world a better place. And that was journalism. Yeah. Through journalism, you were making a difference. Right, right, yes. right, right, right. But it was journalism as, as an advocate uh, right, at, that, right. at that point. And how uh, long did you work with them? Uh, I volunteered with them for about uh, 25 years. Wow. Yeah, yes. Wow. It started okay. in started wow. in 85. And, okay. uh, yeah, probably all the way up until about 2010 or so. What did you learn from all those years of volunteering with advocate groups? You have to let go of being right if you want to make a difference. And when I, when I say that, I, this comes as somebody who, has, as, as a young man, I was very self-righteous uh, about, right. you know, okay, the, you know, these are the things that are, you know, screwed up in the world and we have to do this. And if you don't agree with me, you know, then you're just a dipshit and that sort of thing. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And so in, in 1985, we met with this congressman uh, here in, in Georgia, Pat Swindoll. Mm -hmm. He's a Republican. At the time, there was this big famine in Ethiopia, and we went and we actually had a meeting with him, one, one of the first groups to meet with him, and we asked him to vote in favor of this famine relief for, for Ethiopia. We're talking about, you know, we are the world and right, all that right, stuff, right, right. right? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I don't think the government should be involved in this. He was what? There's 435 members in the House of Representatives. Fifteen of them voted against famine aid for Ethiopia. <laughs> wow. And he was one of them. He was one of them. Oh, and yeah. he got up and made a speech about why he was doing it. Okay. You know, so we thought, oh, my God, you know, forget about trying to influence this guy. We, we kind of felt like the like the sports fans whose team is so bad that when they go to the game, they wear, you know, like a, a paper bag over their head with the <laughs> eyes cut out. 
You know, that's how that's how we felt about him. Yeah. So the guy who was the founder of Results, we had a, a call with him. You know, told him, "Hey, yeah, we might as well just wait until the next election and see if somebody else gets in there." You know, and then Sam says, "Yeah, you could do that." You know, but in the meantime, there's like forty thousand children dying a day from preventable causes. Yeah. Mm. Are you sure you want to wait that long? And I go, okay, I get it. So what, what what do you suggest? And I say, well, you know, there's this thing that another group did, you know, for their member of Congress, you know, where they had a prayer for them. And so we started saying this thing called a, a prayer for Pat Swindoll. <laughs> and the prayer wasn't, you know, like, dear God, Pat Swindoll is just such an asshole. Please change him. <laughs> you know, that was not the prayer. The prayer was, God, help us to change how we see him in order to make the connection that we have to to get him to to do the things that are necessary. And eventually, you know, we actually started to believe this. And we would see him at these little get-togethers in the district they call Chat with Pat. And and we we, we would just go up there with a smile on our face and, you know, shake his hand and, and, and say, Pat, you know, really appreciate you being out here and listening to us and everything. Just want to give you a little uh, education here about this thing called microcredit, you know, where people can get a small loans and and make and start businesses to move their families out of poverty. And he was really interested in it. He really kind of liked it. So we did this a few times. And then, and then the first bill in 1986, the first bill for funding microcredit got introduced in Congress. And we decided, okay, we're going to get him to co-sponsor this bill. These little chat with Pat things have been going really well. I think he's going to, he might co-sponsor it. Uh, John Lewis ended up being one of the co-sponsors on it. And so we had a meeting with him. It, it went great. We all did our little spiels and and he he was he was kind of cute he was just he was sitting there he was actually sitting <laughs> he was on he was, he was sitting on his that we brought in a little tv to show him a video and he was actually like like sitting on his desk with his knees propped up watching this video and everything so we you know come to you know the time to to, to ask him you know would you co-sponsor this bill to start funding microcredit and usually the answer that you'll get from a politician on something like this is well, this looks good. I'm going to have my staff take a look at it. I, know, I need to take a look. At this, you don't even, we didn't even have a bill to show him. We were just, he was just going by what we were telling right, him. Right. The relationship with him, the, the, the respect and trust that we had built up with him was to the point where without a second's hesitation, when we asked him to co-sponsor it, he said, I'd be delighted to co-sponsor this wow. bill. Wow. You get more with honey than with vinegar, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yep. So we're all about to fall out of our chairs uh, <laughs> at, at, at this point. And, and then I remember, oh, yeah, before we did this, uh, I told Sarah, I said, I, I think he's going to co-sponsor. And when he does, I'm, I'm going to see he'll, if he'll do an op-ed about it, about why he's doing it. And everything. And Sarah, oh, I don't know. You might be pushing your luck on that yeah. one. <laughs> and that's uh, it. No, no, no. You know, once he, once he commits, you know, you know, in 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 for a penny, in for a pound. What mm. the hell? So my, my my head is spinning. It after him saying, I'm going to co-sponsor this bill. And then I remember, oh yeah, I'm going to ask him about the op-ed. So just as the words are forming in my mouth, <laughs> he says to us, you know. This is such a great idea. The public really needs to know about this. I've, I've, got, I've got a column that appears in the DeKalb News Sun every two weeks. I was wondering if maybe you could write up something about this and give it to my staff and, and, and we'll run it as my column. So I, I looked at Sarah, you know, with this 
kind of shitting grin on my face. You know, and then I look back at Pat and say, Pat, that's a great idea. Exactly. That's a great <laughs> oh, <yeah>. idea. <laughs> so here the guy voted against famine aid in 85, and a, and a year or two later, he's one of the first co-sponsors for a microcredit bill in, in, in Congress, and I'm his ghostwriter. Wow. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that to me changed my whole view of how you look at things. So to change the world, you had to change yourself, right? Exactly. Your, your perception of how right. to change it. Right. You can't have this, it's us against them. It's we're all in this together, and we just we just have to find a, a way to kind of respect and trust each other that, that we're human beings. We want the best for each other. Let's talk about the problems and, and, and see where we can find the common ground to solve those. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So tell us about the Citizens Climate Lobby. So I, I, I leave the newspaper in, in, in 2009. I take a buyout. Got absolutely no idea what the hell I'm going to do. So I called up Sam, and he says, oh, talk to Marshall. He's just started this group called Citizens Climate Lobby. And Marshall I knew because he was a results volunteer, and I had seen him at results conferences. He was a very well-off guy, and he started a microcredit program down in Mexico. And he asked me a couple of times to write an op-ed for him for the for the San Diego paper. And I thought, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I, I didn't charge him anything. You know, I just, I just wrote it uh, for him and, and all that. And it's just one of those weird things where, where you do something without thinking that you're going to get anything, you know, back for it. But then years later, here I am talking on the phone to this guy who's just starting this organization. And, and I say, hey, do you need somebody to do media work? And he's at this point, he's this guy has one staffer, the, the executive director. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and he says, well, well, yeah, yeah, I do. And that was it. Uh, I, I started working for, for Citizens Climate Lobby. Uh, I did more than media work. At, at that point, we didn't have a very big staff, so I did all kinds of stuff. I went traveling around all up and down east of the Mississippi, uh, starting Citizens Climate Lobby chapters. And eventually we went from about a dozen chapters that were mostly in California to now we've got about 450 chapters covering just about every congressional district in the country. And uh, our main thing has been trying to get a price on carbon. It's called carbon fee and and, and dividend. And And the dividend is that you take the revenue from that carbon tax and you give it to everybody as an equal share so that when energy costs go up because of the carbon price, you know, the the money that people get back will, in most cases, more than cover what they're paying. But the whole idea is is to create the incentive to move away. And it's a very powerful market in, in incentive. If you look at cigarettes, back, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, half the country smoked. Yeah. At yeah. least, at least yeah. half the yeah. country. But cigarettes were like 50 cents a pack. Right, right. You know, well, with all the taxes now, cigarettes are like five, six bucks uh, a pack. Um, yeah, okay, what, I'm going to spend a couple of thousand dollars a year on a, on a product that's probably going to give me cancer? No, <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. So uh, putting a, a tax on the things that we don't want actually works. So that's, that's the whole idea. We're, we're, we came very close to actually getting that included in the, uh, in the big bill that passed last year, the, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. We're one vote shy in the Senate of, uh, of getting it included oh. in that. Guess who the one vote was? Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's not even go there. Let's no, just no, not, no. Even, not even go there. No, no, no. But um, 
we're trying to get it done in a, in a, in a bipartisan, and it's a tough, tough issue to be bipartisan on. But if you want to get policies enacted that are actually going to endure, you know, where, you know, one Congress passes it and then the next Congress, you know, says, oh, no, screw that. We're going to throw it out. You have to get some bipartisan buy-in on it. You have to get people on both sides of the aisle to uh, agree on, on, on things. Otherwise, well, well, particularly when it comes to executive actions uh, and stuff like that, those can easily be undone when Congress, uh, you know, or, or when an administration changes hands, when, as, yeah. as, as we saw yeah. in, in, in 2016. So you have done a lot of good advocacy work. Mm -hmm. Along with that, you've had music. Yes. In your personal life, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. How has making music affected you? Through your life, I've always had this, you know, strong uh, affinity for music. Uh, it, it's one of the arts that just really touches the soul. It it, it does, uh, and um, it, it was fun for me to be a songwriter and, and 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 to sing and you know accompany me on on the guitar with the with the three chords that I knew. And uh, <laughs> but you've played in a lot of like backyard bands, like right, friend, right, right. So so yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I, I've had kind of. Uh, music uh, attention deficit dis disorder <laughs> you know where i would you know get infatuated with a with an instrument you know like like a flute or a saxophone or something like that and i go and buy them you know and i i'd get just to the point where i would stop making bad sounds you know <laughs> but but never get to the to the point where i would actually you know master uh, the, the, the these things although in the, the neighborhood band that we play. Which is with called? The, the St. Charles Stains. <laughs> stains. And, and it stains with, with, with three Zs on the end. Of course so that, it is. So, that, so that's, what, is. that's what makes it edgy. Um, <laughs> so we in Generation Jones are nothing if not edgy, right? Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but I, I, I got my chops up on the, on, on the saxophone enough so that when we do uh, Born to Run, mm -hmm. I sing the song. And I also play the little sax uh, solo in the middle. So Clarence. I'm, so I'm, bo I'm both yes. Bruce Springsteen and Clarence Clemens. All right. Uh, so we, many talents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got one last question before we do our little game show. Okay. What advice would you tell a young person wanting to help change the world to get into advocacy? Would you Gosh. advise? How, what would be your best advice? Well, I've already mentioned you got to let go of of being right if you want to make a difference. Uh, you know, so so that's number one. But 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 number two is to just say yes to the things that you can say yes to. I mean, the, the temptation is always, oh, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. Really, you know, if something gets put in front of you and it looks interesting, you know, and and there's no good reason to say no, go ahead and do it. Because you you just never know where it's where it's gonna lead. You you guys yeah. don't know where this podcast is. Well, mm -hmm. that's true. That's right. Yeah. But to some kind of sponsorship, no probably. <laughs> no I mean, come on, sponsors. <laughs> but I just think of all you know where I am in my life and 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 what I've been able to do, and it was just a lot of the little things that I said yes to that led me to you know where I am now, and 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 the fact that I've. I've been able to fulfill my purpose to make a difference. So don't get hung up on, on the idea that if you want to be an advocate or if you want to make a difference in the world, that it has to be your, your daytime job. 
you know, you can you can do a lot of stuff with just, you know, 10, 15, 20 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I, I feel very hopeful with the youth of today. Yeah. I think yeah. they're doing a lot of good advocacy and it's getting better. Mm hmm. No, so, no, no, no. Lot, 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 lot I think great. they're going to mm-hmm. save the world. Mm-hmm. These these Gen mm-hmm. Zers that everybody like says bad things about. I don't think so. I think they're awesome. I think I think they're they're going to pull our asses out of the fire. Yep, I yep. think so yeah. too. Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. so too. And on that note, we're going to move to our little game show. Okay, it's called "What Decade Did This Come From?" So we're going to give you a word. Or a phrase that came from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, or above. Uh-huh. And you're going to tell us which decade, which decade you think they came from. We're going to okay. give you three, and then we're going to give you a modern word that the kids use now and see if you know what it means. <laughs> All right. Don't worry. We didn't know what it <laughs> was. No, that's, so. okay. Oh, God. that's okay. All right. Number one, drop science. What drop. decade did do- drop science come from? Drop science. Do you know what it means? I don't, but that sounds like something from the 80s. <gasps> ding, yep. ding, ding, yeah. ding. Good job. Sharing knowledge. Yep. Okay, all right. Yep. Okay. This one I never heard of, but Ick House. Ick House. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh. Ick House. <laughs> tell, them what, tell them what it means. It means an attractive, curvy girl. <laughs> I don't know. Oh no 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 no! That would be a brick house. Whoa! No, it said it house. house. Oh, maybe it's maybe they forgot to put the yeah. br on there. Brick, ha- brick yeah, house. Brick house. Yeah. Okay, we're talking. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Because I read this thing. I said ick house. Yeah. I've never heard of yeah, ick yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine an attractive curvy girl house. being in brick ick house. house. No, it's right. got to be a brick house. Brick and that's, house. That's the sixties. No, that's the seventies. Brick oh, house. Yeah. Okay. Brick 70s, house. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Third one. Third and final. Buzzkill. What decade did Buzzkill come from? Buzzkill. Oh God. Uh, let's see. That that had to be something from the. Uh, that's got to be sixties. That 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 that's from the uh, from when 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 people were smoking weed and they they'd run into somebody that was bringing them down. Mm-mm. No. Nope. Sooner. Sixties. Well, later than sixties. Later. Oh, seventies. Got to be. Later. Oh God! 90s, 90s, 90s. Buzzkill yeah. was like or... really popular in the nineties. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I was, Although I was, you know, I, I would have thought hearing, the sixties too. I was hearing that a. But you know, early, I yeah. look up stuff on the internet. And, yeah. You know, the internet's full of bullshit anyway. Right. They don't right. know what. Right. Doing. Okay. Half these people that wrote this stuff is you know they're twenty years old. What do they they, they miss things like right. Ick House, right? right. They drop they things. Mean, they drop things they instead of brick house it. they say Ick House. <laughs> All right. How about the modern one, Stephanie? Okay, What's the modern, the modern one is what Chuggy. Spell it. Chuggy. Chuggy. How do you spell that? C H E U G Y. Pronounced Chuggy. Chuggy. Maria and I were saying this relates to us. No. Exactly. No fucking idea. No, no. <laughs> it is a term used for someone confidently using an outdated trend that was only cool a long time ago, <laughs> but is now considered basic or super mainstream. <laughs> oh my God, that's me. What that's us. <laughs> we are all chuggy. <laughs> and for that, cheers to chuggy. We, 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 we could do the chuggy chug. Cheers. Just do the chuggy chug. Right. <laughs> chug, chug, chug. Uh, mm. Awesome. 
Well, Steve, thank you so much for being our guest. It was my pleasure. And I really do believe that you did change the world. Yes, you have. Well, you know, and, and, and you, you are walk the walk, baby. You, walk you don't the, just, not talk just talk the talk. talk. Dude, exactly. And thank you for listening to this segment of Creative Conversations with Generation Jones. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next podcast. And as my Aunt Millie said, shoulders back, knockers up. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. And that's a wrap. That's a wrap.